Good evening and welcome to the Soho Theatre on October the 7th, 2012 for No Pressure to Be Funny, created by Alistair Barry and Nick Revel and podcasting on the British Comedy Guide. It's now time to introduce you to your host, a man who, unlike Ed Miliband, has decided not to perform without notes this evening, but who is equally likely to become Prime Minister. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr James O'Brien. Shall we begin with a quick look at what's been happening since our last show here in June? South Yorkshire Police have been nominated for the Booker Prize. And after more than 500 years, the remains of Richard III have been found in a car park in Leicester. He was positively identified by the deformed shoulder and immediately declared fit for work by Atos. (laughs) South Park creators Trey Parker and Matt Stone are bringing their hit musical Book of Mormon the musical to London, although it does seem slightly redundant to bring a comedy about Mormonism over from the States when all we really need to do is watch their election. Obama lost the first debate against Romney, who appears to be gaining ground in the polls. On the other hand, Michelle beat Anne in the First Lady Bake Off, so it's still really too close to call, and the Book of Mormon will of course be competing with the current arena tour of Jesus Christ's Superstar. Strangely, there seems to be very little sign, yet, of Quran the musical, which is a surprise. What could possibly go wrong? In fact, we've even started writing the songs. Sit down, you're rocking the burqa. Abdul, get your gun. Let's blow the whole thing up. Mullah Bamboo, hopelessly detonated to you, and... The showstopper, Taliban evangelists, are really quite explosive. (laughs) When I say we've started writing the songs, I mean Alistair Barry, who wrote all that and for some reason can't be here tonight. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for our musical guest this evening, the finest comedy musician to have come out of Warrington since George Formby. Please welcome, with his massive ukulele, Mr Paul Thorne. Hello, be well? Oh, Clearly not. That's <laughs> me thinking London was surfing on some kind of wave of post-Olympic euphoria. I was completely wrong. It's all gone back to being a little bit shit and rainy, stabbing people and being rude to foreigners. That's yep. <laughs> it wasn't really all that anyway, was it really? If you think about the gold medals that we won, it was just us doing what we do, wasn't it? You know, we live on island, we're good at sailing, rains a lot, we're good at rowing, trains are shit, we're good at cycling. That's all that is. <laughs> Pair it down, it's not really sporting prowess, is it? It's just people trying to get to fucking work <laughs> during adverse weather conditions. Now, uh, this, uh, this, this first song is um, it's basically for the loneliest man uh, in the world. Uh, you getting that in the speakers there? Yeah, good. Edit point. This song, ladies and gentlemen, is for the loneliest man in the world. I think I got a bit of a laugh the last time, but you didn't do it the second time. <laughs> this song, ladies and gentlemen... No, this is ra- you're laughing in the wrong place now. Fuck <laughs> the whole thing up. This song is for the loneliest man in the world, which at the moment feels like me, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> if you think it's hard being a Guantanamo detainee, or a prisoner in a penitentiary 
then you should try the Ecuadorian embassy <laughs> where I'm confined because I went online <laughs> and I don't speak the language that they speak you could describe the decor as favela chic and ironically the ceiling's got a leak unlike the I did online. It's about Julian Assange, by the way. WikiLeaks blog. Not to be confused with Wikipedia, of course. One of them's not true. I'm eating deep fried llama and a bowl of slop. And there is no toilet paper, just a mop. Somebody please ask Pussy Riot if they'll swap their place with mine. And the panpipe music doesn't stop all day And when you think things can't go any more astray Bob pops George fucking Galloway <laughs> To fight the fight By talking shite Because <laughs> the establishment take on things is that Julian Assange has got a chip on his shoulder because he was bullied at school uh, Most of you will know that Julian Assange went to school in Australia So he was probably bullied What's your name, mate? Julian. What the fuck, boys? Wait, 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 wait. Assange? Get the fucking cricket bats. Australians with cricket bats, he'll be quite safe. So will anybody ever shed some light on whether my defence is watertight? Am I just a guy defending human rights? Or just a rapey swine who crossed the line? The day I resign, I'll put the answer online. Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul Thorne. Let's meet the panel this evening. Uh, our first guest is a comedian, writer and presenter of the Channel 4 show Balls of Steel. All the jokes we could think of at this point were far too obvious to include, so we'll just listen very carefully for clanking sounds as he sits down. Or add them to the podcast afterwards. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mark Dolan. Our second panellist is a no-pressure favourite, whom we were also surprised to find is considered a pioneer of modern dance in Northern Ireland. We also discovered that she passed away in December 2009, but that's Wikipedia for you. Please welcome the Deputy Editor of The New Statesman, Helen Lewis. Joining them is a Perrier-nominated comedian and co-creator of the Bugle podcast and Radio 4's Political Animal. Of all his prolific output of the last few years, our favourite is still his 2006 Edinburgh show, Andy Zaltzman detonates 70 minutes of unbridled afternoon. Stand back, it's Andy Zaltzman. And our final guest is uh, a former deputy editor of The New Humanist and now news editor at Index on Censorship. According to Wikipedia, he also plays Gaelic football for Kerry, so there's a definite possibility he may have been taught to dance by Helen Lewis. Please welcome Audrey Greedy. Thank you. 
Um, let's avail ourselves of exactly where we are politically at the moment. We have conference season here in the UK. The American elections are coming up. And Nick Clegg is apologising for broken promises. Guantanamo Bay is still open, despite Barack Obama promising to close it within a year of becoming president. Jeremy Hunt saying now it might not be possible to keep the NHS budget at the levels they were previously guaranteeing. The simple question we will begin with this evening is... Is it ever really worth voting at all? <laughs> Mark Dolan. No, I don't think so. Thank you. I, I think, um, I mean, dictators are always better dressed, aren't they? <laughs> Helen Lewis, make a slightly more impassioned defence of the importance of casting a vote on either side of the Atlantic. No, I voted Lib Dem. Oh, God. I can't. Andy, would you like to stand up for the free oh, world? Well, I, I love voting. Well, hey. But, uh, well, I can't get enough of it. Um, <laughs> would, you, would you consider travelling to other countries oh, simply yeah. to vote in their elections? No, I try and vote in at least ten different constituencies in Britain every election. If I haven't voted in 20 elections, it's been a bad year. But um, I, I think I'd love democracy too much. Actually, when I voted at the last general election here, I just uh, I couldn't control myself. Um, I was just charging around the polling station like a banshee cheering and celebrating. I think it was the raw primeval thrill of being able to write the letter X in a small box next to the name of someone I'd never actually heard of thus expressing my political opinions in the most meaningless imprecise and in a safe seat ineffective way available. It was just too much I was overwhelmed by this maelstrom of democratic ecstasy. I sliced the end off my finger I wrote an X in blood next to every single candidate on that ballot paper then flipped the ballot paper over, wrote out the names of the entire 1981 Ashes winning England cricket team and I voted for them as well Fuck yeah I screamed This is why I fought all those world wars and then attempted to jump into the ballot box and hibernate amongst the votes What's happened though which is a bit strange is that Hang on, I want to know who won that last Well, there was a low turnout so so, uh, Graham Gooch is now my local MP (laughs) (laughs) You too, Helen uh, and Pordrick you devote a significant part of your professional lives to trying to persuade or not persuade Mm -hmm. but inform people politically and yet you, you, you sort of yeah, think. I'd, I'd, li- I'd like to you know, bust through the, 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 the wall of fashionable cynicism we have here. Yeah. You know, yeah. I come from a country you know, where we fought you know, several you know, revolutions to, to get the right to vote for the wrong people. Um, and and yeah, I, I very much subscribe to the, um, the traditional Sinn Féin line of you know, vote early, vote often. Um, <laughs> but it's true, you know, we, we see today, you know, in Venezuela today, people have a chance to vote out um, uh, Hugo Chavez and that, that's a very nice thing and we, sh- we generally shouldn't underestimate the fact that we get a chance to go out every year and every four years however often and vote for the slightly less bastardy one is that, is that simple? that's I essentially mean, what it comes down to you we, can have the uber bastard or you can have the slightly less bastard but if you're yeah. As, as Mark was saying, if you're in a proper dictatorship, you've only got the bastard. Yes. And I, I like that choice. But also, I think you know, apathy is now kind of backdated. So when, when you had, like, for example, a president, somebody running against the president in America, in this case Mitt Romney, and in, in the UK, leader of the opposition, um, Ed Miliband. Uh, is that, is that his look, official political name now? Is um, um, Ed Miliband. <laughs> I think it is. I think it is. And he uh, and Mitt Romney are already unpopular and they haven't even won yet, which is an amazing thing. So you, they don't even enjoy kind of popularity by comparison. So yeah. we, we just yeah. don't like anybody. We don't like the incumbent, we don't like the opposition. And I mean, that's well, that was, proper that was, in-your-face yeah, kind that, of discontent. That was it? shown at the last 
general election when all three parties managed to lose, which was an extraordinary achievement given how unpopular yeah. they all were. But they all managed to lose to each other so convincingly. It was extraordinary. Yeah, I think this is this is a wonderfully positive thing. There's a great story. <laughs> I can't remember what year it was exactly because you know, someone who did history here might be able to help me. But the House of Parliament, um, before the lovely neo-Gothic thing we have now, the, the original House of Parliament burnt down in the early 19th century. And Londoners lined up on the opposite bank of the river and cheered and had a festival while watching it. I think that's brilliant. That is absolutely brilliant. I would be much more terrified for democracy if people were genuinely sad about that. Truly, yeah. That's a sort of Danny Boyle's encore. You could <laughs> Has anybody in the room ever attended a party conference? I, I haven't, but I did watch Ed Miliband's speech on a big screen in Hyde Park with 150,000 others. <laughs> <laughs> what's actually happened? Why don't sort of impressive well, people go into politics anymore? Um, well, I do think there's a genuine problem in politics having become a career. And I, I, I think that's, you know, look at, so particularly at the top, that the, uh, you know, the, the three party leaders plus the Chancellor of the Exchequer and, the, um, and Danny Alexander as well, they're all, you know, they're all guys in their early 40s, late 30s, who have basically just done politics as a career. Danny Alexander worked as a press officer for the Cairngorms National Park. Yes. It was his major job before basically becoming second in charge of the economy. What do you think Which was a job which involves in issuing press releases about when squirrels like to hunt. <laughs> that, is, that, is not, that is not a key factor in the economic cycle. Uh, apparently, you might want to steal yourself for this, apparently Abu Hamza is suffering from depression. This is despite this week winning an all-expenses-paid trip to America with free board and lodging. <laughs> Honestly, some people. Let's, uh, let's wade through this uh, astonishing field of quality contributions from the audience tonight. Um, uh, John, who describes himself as an old geezer, why, oh, why, oh, why? It's like being at work. Why, oh, why, oh, why? Is it quicker to write this than to text or tweet? It means it's easier to write with a pen on a piece of paper than it is to get your handheld electronic device out and start tweeting. But you probably reach usually a slightly smaller audience, John, if you wrote on this bit of paper. I don't know. It's also quicker to do a cave painting if you're already in a cave. <laughs> <laughs> if you're sitting at home with your mobile phone thinking about it. It's, um, it, it's, it's a timely moment to contemplate Twitter briefly. The, the, the index on censorship has, has been much exercised, Portrick, by much. Twitter. I mean, trials. Yes, in, in courts and everything over what I think still seems to most of us like a fairly inane frippery. Mm-hmm. Um, Stop prosecuting all of those. The courts are going to get busy. <laughs> <laughs> well, this this is exactly what's um, what what the um, Crown Prosecution Service Services worried about. So the um, next week, the uh, Director of Public Prosecutions is deciding to call in people um, who have a stake in this, which actually is pretty much everyone who has a Twitter account. This is again going to be a, a long process. Um, They're not going to talk to us all one by one. Not all of no, us, no. They'll, no. They'll, they'll just set up a hashtag. Just Lady Gaga. <laughs> but, you know, we, we all have to go in and we have to discuss with the, um, with the Crown Prosecution Service when is the right time to prosecute a joke on Twitter and when is not the right time. And I would suggest when is not the right time is when it's a fucking joke. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it was wonderful, actually, sitting in, sitting in court through several cases because it made me feel very young. Yes. You had all these people explaining... The Twitter machines to these judges in terribly serious terms, and you're there under the table. I'm technically breaking the law by tweeting this. Yes. Doesn't Twitter, in particular, I know if it's online, it's the internet, but Twitter, um, particularly, sort of means the end or spells the end for the notion of contempt of court, because 
Um, well, we had the, the super injunction issue mm. was rife a year or two ago, and it was um, Ryan Giggs, the footballer, mm. who everybody was outing on Twitter, but it was still it would have been contempt of court if you'd gone on TV and said it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so is there any is there any recourse for the you know for the um, for the establishment well, to kind of claw back it's, their it's, uh, authority? It's a real issue. I mean, do you because because things spread so quickly? You know, if one you know, if one person tweets, you can prosecute them. But the fact is, one person tweets and then ten thousand people retweet it. Yes. Um, so what do you do? Do you take one prosecution pour un corrigé les autres or do you just leave it go? Um, or do you I do Twitter is the other one? Or do Twitter you being like the publisher or what? Well, well yeah, Can't. it's another argument again. This, it's, it's, it's well, called, let's, yeah. let's I was going to use another horrible you, technical you, you, term there. Your radio show, you are crippled with rules about what you're allowed to say, particularly during an election, aren't you? It's ridiculous yes, I'm not allowed how to say anything. regimented the whole thing is on the radio. Yes. yes, I can't express a political opinion once mm. an election has been called. And they even to give, if they even if stopwatch, if you have to give a certain number of minutes, it doesn't each. quite work like that because on LBC, I don't know how many people here are familiar with the station's output, but there's only three hours a day that aren't ranting right-wing nonsense. So, <laughs> so, so I get I get a wonderful carte blanche by way of anything I say is balanced out by the by the hot wash. <laughs> that precedes and succeeds me. I mean that most affectionately. <laughs> but on the BBC, yes, it, that would be true, because you, you, you would have to time it, and that's why you then have to mention all the other people. So Twitter, Twitter drives a coach and horses through that, mm-hmm. except that if you're an employee of an organisation, you could still be held responsible by them. What do you think is going to happen then, Baudry? Well, because... It, 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 I mean, this week it was Freddie Starr. Yep. There was no earthly way, even if he'd got his injunction, there was no earthly way you could have prevented millions of people from finding out on Twitter that Freddie Starr had been cited as the possible uh, third person present in that BBC dressing room when uh, child, child abuse was, was on I do really want to stop you there, James, because I do think you're straying into very dangerous ground. Um, that was the injunction he was seeking. Injunction. That injunction has failed. It has now been reported that that was why he was seeking mm-hmm. it. And Freddie Starr has said, I know I've been mentioned by this girl as having done this, well, and it wasn't he, me. He's, he, he is still, um, you know, the threat is still being held over in... Um, this is my point. Millions the threat is still being held over he will pursue a libel case. What um, about the hamster? Well, <laughs> <laughs> anyone think of the hamster? Hamster suddenly is sitting out. But honestly, James, I don't know where this all goes. I have literally no Where do index on censorship want it to go? But we don't know. Really? What we do not want is for people to start applying... The, which is a problem that Paul Chambers had, a problem that other people yeah. have had. We started applying laws that were dreamt up long before anyone could have imagined the way people communicate these days being applied to the way do, people do communicate. It's, fact, I, I, it's incredibly hard. It's a strange sort of consequence of it is that um, in, in when a court case happens, like the Justin Lee Collins uh, case that we mentioned this week, mm. is that if you read about it in the press and you listen to it on the radio, uh, you hear about these allegations. Uh, but on Twitter, it's just... Um, yes. Uh, Twitter is basically Justin e. Collins is a very strange man. These are the things he does, yes. and that's a very sort of prefer- perverting little lens that puts it puts the case through. But there's so still an argument that you know you don't really take what sort of egg face sixty nine says as being with quite the authority that it was if it appeared in the Times or something like that's that. That's me. What are you saying? <laughs> <laughs> Why egg face sixty nine? No, I don't don't hang on there every word. But but, but, also, it it occurs to me, this is the only time in sort of recorded... 
panel show history where the panellist has cautioned the presenters. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite heavy, wasn't it? I've basically censored you, James. But that, that, is, that is my point, because you, yeah. here you would censor me. If, if you saw me tweet something like that, you wouldn't, because you'd have to then contact 10 or 11 or 12,000 people, and then all of them, and then... So it, it, is, it, is, it well, just so where, feels like a total waste. Where does it stop as well? When you get a, you know, with court cases... I was saying Darren does not actually fancy Tracy despite <laughs> what Kevin said on Twitter. <laughs> but you make a good point because most people using, using Twitter are using it as just simply as a conversation and not thinking about, you know, technically you are publishing something now. Yes. You are in, and, and that's why, you know, arguments about, about censorship, which in, in the past may have seen, and limits on free expression, which in the past may have seemed terribly abstract and it was all about Solzhenitsyn and Václav Havel and mm. all these, you know, Wonderful people struggling against regimes. They now affect every single person. We're all going around publishing things constantly. Well, so um, in the old days, you know, you had to basically hire a monk to do some like illuminated script for you. So you had time whilst they were doing that to think, actually, maybe I shouldn't actually put that in the public. <laughs> <laughs> um, Boris Johnson, we touched on briefly in the first half. He, he does seem to be an exception, and, and in fact, he's a good example on the um, on the Twitter stuff as well, because a lot of stuff about him is out there. It's not it's not denied. But the Daily Mail has carried a photograph of a child who bears an astonishing resemblance to him and yet was not given birth to by his wife. Am I all right there, Paul? Or a human woman? I don't know. I just think there are probably a hell of a lot of babies that look like Boris Johnson, surely. No, that was an episode of Doctor Who. Midwich cooking. But we have an um, office game where you say, what's the worst thing that Boris Johnson could do in public yeah. and still be elected? Yeah. It's, it's a terrifying what's left? thought experiment. What's left? He's on the phone to Darius Guppy, who's asking him to help him find a journalist so he can get the journalist's legs broken, and he said, I, that, that's fine, Darry. that's fine, Darry. leave it with me, I'll do it. <laughs> well, we've all and, been... And tomorrow, at Tory party conference, the party of law and order, when this man walks up onto the stage, will go absolutely tonto. It's quite mm-hmm. unbelievable. What, what is this? Why, Mark Dover? Is it a conspiracy uh, by, by the press uh, to wait until... Because the press always need to have their sort of matinee idols, their pinups, the people that they are that are the stars of the future. They need these characters. So he's a future character that you don't want to soil just yet. You know, keep your powder dry. I so, don't think you can soil him now. What a strange turn of phrase. <laughs> 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 but then, 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 Helen says, are what, they what? waiting for him to be to become prime minister, and then they can just you know unleash the dogs? I don't think there's any dogs left. Again, he's already cut figure, shagged all figure of speech, not a... Sorry. But, but, you can't soil him because he is covered in soil. Yes, from head yes, to toe, yes, exactly. But he's managed to grow some it, quite fetching grass on it. Is it a clever branding on his part? Because uh, straight-laced public figures who are very dry, austere sort of characters who promote family values, they come unstuck. People mm. that talk, you know, in the era of John Major, anyone yeah. that talked about Back to Basics was asking for trouble. Um, whereas actually, brand Boris is fumbling... Uh, the story about his an affair with a, co- a colleague uh, yes. was it a spectator Petronella White Petronella White I'm not obsessed know. so in a way <laughs> part of his brand is that he's a bit naughty he's a bit jovial he's a bit flaky yeah. and, and so Sags actually around a lot it's lies to all really, his bosses but maybe maybe his brand in a way isn't, he doesn't have a sort of gen- disingenuous fake brand it's right, almost geez, a, a cunning it. thing where it's all out there I take it all awesome. <laughs> absolutely right doesn't it? yeah it's all out well, I wonder is it, is it even simpler than that I mean the the kind of the reason the supposed reason why George W. Bush got elected twice was essentially comes down to and we were talking about the dryness of politicians earlier how many current high profile politicians do you think you might actually have fun having a drink with? Yeah. Just Boris. 
Yeah. <laughs> you have fun like, a let's go for a drink of that middle band. <laughs> Show you his Rubik's Cube skills. Yeah. I'm going to have a little think about that. Just bear with me. We can cut this out of the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> no, Baldrick, you make a valid point. I, I, apart from Boris Johnson, you can't think of anyone you'd want to be stuck in a lift with. Yep. <laughs> I'm not sure I'd like to be stuck in a lift with Boris, actually. Not for very long, yeah. at least. Um, let us bring Nick Revel back onto the stage for a slight change of pace. <coughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Nick Revel. It's, uh, it's, it's Vladimir Putin's birthday today, so we, we thought we ought to... All together now! <laughs> <laughs> we, ought to, we ought to cover him. I, I, I saw this online a couple of uh, months ago, and I had to read the story um, several times before I fully believed it, but uh, he, he, he called a meeting of senior Russian diplomats um, uh, and was urging them to work on uh, improving Russia's distorted... Uh, image uh, in, in, in the world and um, for, for example some observers were arguing that uh, there were some image problems arising from the law passed by the Duma in 2006 permitting the extrajudicial killing of extremists living abroad who are seeking to overthrow the Russian government and this definition and again I check this very carefully includes those slandering the individual occupying the post of the president of the Russian Federation. So obviously at this point I want to make it very clear that I'm not slandering Mr. Putin, uh, either as a private individual or in his capacity as president of the Russian Federation. I'm simply trying to help. Um, let's Let's look at the problem here. For a lot of people, their initial knee-jerk reaction to executing people for having an opinion is largely negative. Um, So the solution here is to give the whole tracking down a dissident and killing them concept a bit of a 21st century makeover, and I think we can turn it right around. The first step, in my view, is to make extrajudicial murder a little more viewer-friendly by adding maybe a, a reality show dimension to it. So you introduce to the audience uh, at home a group of potential victims who then over a period of weeks live together perform a series of tasks, song and dance routines, cook each other meals and each week the viewers get to vote for the one lucky winner who ends up getting whacked. And and, and of course with the voting element any accusations of being anti-democratic are immediately straight out of the window. It is, if you will, a process of elimination with a twist. (laughs) Let's call it say, how do you solve a problem like Maria, Yuri, Sergei, Kordakov, made in Moscow, whacked in Docklands. Come die with me. Uh, And the next step would be to give the killers a human face. Make the assassination process a pro-celebrity event. Uh, A a, a veteran hitman teams up with a TV personality who has no previous experience of contract killing. Because there's huge potential here for some classic double-act lighter moments. Uh, The inevitable in-the-deep-end basic errors of the novice in any field always make for hilarious television. A a little bit of a travelogue, maybe, as the team move around the world in search of their prey. It's sort of pulp fiction meets three men in a boat. Um, we warm to the hitmen as their little foibles make them human, counterbalancing the tired traditional perception of cold-blooded killers as a bit creepy. Uh, and another reason that uh, Russia is getting bad press is because since 2000, uh, the year 2000, when Vladimir Putin coincidentally 
became president for the first time. 17 journalists have been murdered in crimes in Russia linked to their work, with only one partially successful prosecution. And uh, surely it's sheer coincidence that all those journalists were murdered while investigating corruption, financial criminality, human rights abuses in the army, government and legal system. But journalists are notoriously bitchy bunch, no, no offence, uh, are, are clearly seizing on the raw data and drawing sensationalised inferences simply because they are too lazy and shallow to find anything more important to write about than journalists being murdered for investigating corruption. Uh, the only solution here in my mind is to give them something else to, to, to write about, like a World Cup or celebrity gossip, maybe talk to the Kardashians about cloning a Russian branch of the family. Uh, and it's not only journalists who are conspiring against Russia's reputation. Its reputation is also challenged by other less intellectual hooligan elements, uh, namely metals. Yes, this is true. A rogue trace of the radioactive isotope polonium-210 was responsible for the death of ex-journalist and, and FSB agent Alexander Litvinenko in London a few years ago. Although the polonium was clearly a lone wolf <laughs> acting independently, uh, some people cast suspicion on Russia simply because 95% of the isotope is manufactured there. Uh, and another poisonous metal, mercury, again, clearly acting alone, found its way into the car of the human rights lawyer Karina Moskalenko just a few days before she was due to appear at the pre-trial hearing of those responsible and or not responsible for the murder of journalist Anna Politivskaya. Again, using metal as an accomplice, in that case, lead. Uh, the, 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 the solution here is trickier. All I can suggest in the face of this blatant and cunning smear campaign on the Russian government by inanimate members of the periodic table uh, is that Mr Putin remain calm vigilant and rational and orders the ruthless and total destruction of those metals wherever they can be found. Uh, and maybe Putin should also smile a bit more. I bet he's got lovely strong teeth. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Nick Reynolds. Thank you, Nick. Uh, I, I think the most important question to ask in the aftermath of that neat and cutting polemic is, is what you would buy Vladimir Putin for his birthday if you were, if you were charged with getting him a gift, Andy. Well, he's quite a hard man to buy for. Mm. I mean, because, you know, he can basically do whatever he wants. And just a few weeks ago, he, uh, you might have heard about this, he, uh, he led uh, a migration of endangered swans <laughs> in, a, in a glider. But, uh, but he went up in this and he was trying to sort of help these swans migrate to the right part of Russia. So he went up there as some kind of you know, heroic environmentalist. And there was talk before he did he was going to wear a beak. <laughs> <laughs> and regrettably, he did not wear a beak. And the swans did not follow him. It only goes to show, if you are going to, if you are going to lead a migration of endangered swans... Wear a fucking beak. <laughs> so, so, I don't know what, I'd get him a beak. Get him a beak, yeah. That's all true, apart from the bit about the beak. No, well, no it's true that, he, that, that the initial report said he was going to put on a prosthetic beak. beak. Man. He might have thought that might not have played well with floating voters. Yeah. <laughs> he's quite, he's quite um, sporty, isn't he? Quite Apparently. a sort of keep fit kind of rugged sort of character so great abs for a guy his age not yeah. shoddy is yeah. it he works out but he uh, knows how to ride a horse maybe why, why don't we why don't we sell him 
all the Jimmy Savile's tracksuits. And jewellery, and he could just do triathlons in all that gear and really shed some stones. That's what you'd get him for his birthday. I think it would be, he'd look great in a sort of gold Adidas tracksuit. He he admitted recently that some of the photographs taken of him doing really macho things had been staged. And and I I think the whole of Russia went. Oh, really? <laughs> Who'd have thunk it? It's not the worst staged photo in Russian history. <laughs> oh, well, no, that's true. There's quite a good, rich tradition of people disappearing yeah. after the photograph yeah. was taken. At least there was none not of that. Not adding a tiger to it. <laughs> <laughs> Remove Trotsky, add a tiger. Yeah. Unless <laughs> the tiger's mouth was around Trotsky's head. <laughs> I wonder what the equivalent of... Um, wonder what the equivalent of sending sushi would be. Because that's a very sort of the history of sushi. Oh, and Litvinenko. That's it. So what would be the equivalent? I was two-day-old Nando's, perhaps? <laughs> for, for us. Some kind of doggy bag of Nando's, which we all Western know is lethal Nando. after about 24 hours. <laughs> Helen Lewis, would you, would you uh, spring for a gift for Vladimir? Well, I was thinking that maybe the best thing to get him would be like the latest, whatever the latest Gillette thing is, you know, the phantom power fusion. Because if you look at the adverts, he is the guy in the adverts <laughs> that hang glides in and then does a hard day at the coalface murdering dissidents. <laughs> Perfectly chiselled throughout. He does. How many blades are they up to now? I don't know. Five. Got, is it, is it, it must be up to five, I think. Yeah. Before I grew my beard, they were on four, and I've had it for a while now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and uh, and Podrick, would you get Mr. Putin anything um, nice for his birthday? I would buy Mr. Putin a uh, nice pair of tights, a uh, <laughs> skirt, and a neon balaclava. Um, <laughs> very good. And I would include a little note saying that there are far cleverer, better people than you in jail now that need to be released for the good of Russia. So I'm getting terribly serious here. Nice. I would also suggest that there will be proper justice for the murders of Anna Polkovskaya, Natalia Stamirova, and Anastasia Barbarova, and the many others who Nick mentioned who have died at this man's hands. How do you think he's going to respond to that? <laughs> I'm not eating sushi anytime soon. That, 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 uh, card, is, that is, card is not going up on his mantle. Uh, no, thank you. You There's might a get a round of applause here, but you won't be invited <laughs> to next year's party. <laughs> <laughs> Audrey, just so you know, there's a uh, Yo Sushi bag upstairs waiting for you. <laughs> the, um, he does I, like to get his own way, though, doesn't he? Maybe some kind of course in compromise. I think that's what he needs. <laughs> Anger management. I don't know if he seem like he ever gets angry. He's got that Bond villain type. Yeah, arguably he manages his anger slightly too well. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. Find frequent outlets. Yeah, anger mismanagement course. We, uh, we we probably won't send any of those presents to to Russia. If Not that, even the beak. If no. Well, maybe. The, <laughs> what happened to the swans? Well, only, I think only two of them followed this glider. It's enough. Noah's Ark principle of procreation the, uh, among animals. It is a deeply sinister uh, administration, if you can even dignify it with the word administration. Um, there was footage of him doing essentially what looked like a bit of a PR stunt, which is he was... Because the Russian economy is actually uh, struggling, lots of factories are closing, and uh, unemployment and a very angry unemployed uh, nation are, are um, a problem for him, even though it's totally undemocratic. And so he does these stage things where he goes to the factories which are uh, closing down and he, has to, he films the meetings with the board of governors, directors or whatever, and, he sits, and they're all billionaires who have been, or a number of them are, who have been enriched by you know, the malpractice of the past. And uh, they, they, they sit around and they say, this meeting is because the, the, the uh, factory has to close. Um, and then he kind of bangs his fist on the table and says, are you sure? Are you, you know, do you really want to close this factory? And then they go, 
we've thought about it, and actually, no, we, there are these jobs, actually, it's all going to be absolutely fine, I don't know what we were thinking, we're such silly people, of course, we will employ 20,000 people as of now, thanks very much. That was a great DVD. meeting, what a Midas touch On the DVD extras you see, now can I please see my wife and children again? <laughs> yeah. um, finally, this evening, Kelvin McKenzie said in The Spectator last week that he was owed an apology over the way he had been reviled over his coverage of Hillsborough when editor of The Sun. So we would like to take this opportunity to say on behalf of the whole nation to Mr McKenzie that we are so very sorry that some random combination of DNA and social conditioning ended up becoming you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been No Pressure to be Funny. Our next show is here at the Soho Theatre on Sunday the 11th of November. Please thank our guests, Mark Dolan, Helen Lewis, Andy Zaltzman, Paul Greeny, and Paul Thorne. I'm James O'Brien. Good night. <laughs>